Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Good morning and good morning to those of you who are watching from home or on the road. I invite you all to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, chapter 32. We're in a study we began several weeks ago looking at two godly men who stood up in a very dark time in, in the history of God's people. And they made a huge impact for God in their generations. The first, whom we are continuing to look at today, is King Hezekiah, and then in a couple of weeks be looking at King Josiah, men who were bright lights in the darkness of their day, in the darkness of their time. And they, there are many lessons for us as we live in times that seem to be growing in so very many ways increasingly dark. And this is a call and a challenge and an encouragement for us to live as lights in our day. We've seen how King Hezekiah led a massive, a wonderful revival, turning the hearts of the people away from wickedness, away from idolatry, and back towards worshiping and following God. Then last week we began here in chapter 32 as King Hezekiah learned of a big problem that was brewing on the horizon. Assyria, the world superpower of the day, was on the move, headed on their way down towards little Judah, looking to conquer and to subdue them. Under Hezekiah's leadership, they they began to work beefing up their security, rebuilding walls, refortifying walls that were weak, building new walls, building weapons, preparing themselves, organizing the people under leadership, all designed to withstand the Assyrian advance. Then having done all they could do to prepare Godly King Hezekiah addressed the people and he spoke to them and reminded them of the promises of God. He urged them to trust God. And we saw last week at the end of verse 8 that though the Assyrian attack had not yet begun, the people had listened to the word of the Lord and they took comfort. And it says they rested in those words. We learn from their example that while trials and problems do come to even good and godly people, we can find peace and we can find rest in the goodness and in the power of God, in His presence with us and in His purpose even in our trials. Today we continue the story, picking it up here in verse 9 of chapter 32 of 2 Chronicles. Verse 9, after this, 
Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, and I'm going to stop there, because I don't want to miss the first words of that verse. It says, after this, or if you're following along in the New International Version, it says, later. And I don't want to miss, because those are simple little words that we easily just blow right past. They're words easy to gloss over, but in real life, those little words, after this or later, can be very powerful and very difficult. You see, the people of Judah had gotten ready. They had prepared. They had been busy, 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 building, busy, repairing, busy, getting themselves ready for an oncoming assault, an oncoming invasion. And they waited. After having worked hard and trained and prepared, they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited some more. You see, I know because I've talked to many of you who have been through severe trials that you can identify with what this is like. See, sometimes the hardest part of the trial, the hardest part of the problem, the hardest part of the difficulty can be the waiting. Bring on the enemy. (laughs) Bring on the fight. Bring on the surgery. Bring on the treatments. Bring on, you know, whatever it is. Bring something on, but I'm tired of waiting. Sometimes it seems easier to fight the battle and die trying than to wait for the battle to come. Troubles, trials, and problems are very often like a marathon rather than a sprint. And they take a lot of waiting, and a lot of enduring. In times like that, God is trying to teach us something. We saw these verses last week. James says in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops endurance or perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God, during times of trial and difficulty, is looking to develop and to grow in us perseverance, to help for us to hang in there, to to learn patience, and to learn to keep trusting God even when things are difficult and long. And all of that is growing and maturing us to completion. At first, you see, there was hope, there was confidence. The people had worked hard, they had prepared hard. Their cities were fortified well, their, their people were prepared well. Defenses were strong, morale was high. But then reports started coming in. This city fell. That city fell. That city fell. Sennacherib will later write in his annals that he conquered 46 fortified cities in Judah. 
Some scholars debate those numbers, but whether his numbers are exaggerated or not, by the time we come here to verse 9, definitely most of the major cities of Judah have fallen to the Assyrian army. Sennacherib has also defeated the Philistine territory to the west of Judah. And he is currently, our text says, laying siege to Lachish. Lachish is one of the last major strongholds as he is on his way to Jerusalem. And so while the siege is taking place at Lachish, he sends a delegation to Jerusalem. A delegation with, as we noted last week, an army of 185,000 soldiers to help get the point across. He's seeking their surrender. Give up now before the real battle begins. Their situation in Jerusalem and in Judah was dangerous before. Then it became bleak. And now it looks, from human standpoint, it looks totally impossible. The main force is still down at Lachish, but there's 185,000 soldiers now at the gates of Jerusalem. That's like Bush Stadium filled four times over with change. That's how many people that is. That's a lot of soldiers. Sometimes we're in a really bad situation. I mean, really bad. And we pray and we plead to God for an answer to prayer, for deliverance from this problem, this situation. We're waiting for rescue. And what we discover is that things get even worse. That's the situation in Jerusalem right now. It's hard to trust God when things keep getting bleaker and bleaker, isn't it? But that's the time we most need to keep our eyes on God and keep our trust in Him. The prophet Isaiah, who was the mentor and spiritual advisor for this king, Hezekiah, had written these words, Isaiah 40, But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Those are easy words to say. Those are easy words to read. Those are easy words to hear when everything is going nice. When everything is going wonderfully. But when your situation has moved from dangerous to bleak to impossible... It's difficult to wait on the Lord, isn't it? How do we persevere and hang in there? How do we keep our eyes on God and keep trusting Him when our situation is impossible? Well, that's our focus today. The Assyrians begin as they show up at the gates of Jerusalem, this delegation... They begin enacting a battle plan that is more dangerous than chariots. It's more dangerous than soldiers. It's more dangerous than arrows. It's more dangerous than battering rams and than siege works and siege towers. Sennacherib's emissaries arrive with the last word that I read, saying. 
they arrived speaking. And what do they say? Verse 10, it says, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? What in the world are you trusting in that you're going to be willing to endure what I'm going to unleash on you? What they begin is a battle plan, a campaign of propaganda, of deception, of mind games, all designed to demoralize and to defeat the Judeans before the battle even begins. As we look at the attacks this morning that the Assyrians bring, what we discover is a very powerful picture of the attacks that our enemy today, Satan, often uses to demoralize and to distress and to defeat us today. May I say, especially when we are facing times of difficulty or trouble or adversity. Five attacks that our enemy Satan uses against us. Verse 11. Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and thirst? When he tells you, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn sacrifices? We realize that Sennacherib has done his homework. He's gotten lots of intel and he knows exactly what has been going on in the land of Judah and with King Hezekiah. And he knows what King Hezekiah has told the people. And he very craftily speaks some truth mixed with lies, half-truths about God and about Hezekiah and about the revival that Hezekiah instituted in the land of Judah. Hezekiah is telling you to trust in the Lord. But... Isn't he telling you to trust in the Lord whose high places Hezekiah removed? Because one of the things that Hezekiah did that so many of the kings did not do was get rid of the high places. High places where people would go worship God, that many of the high places were to worship idols, but many of the high places people used to worship the true God. But God had said, don't do that. There's only one place to worship me, and that is the place where I've chosen to put my name in the temple. You shall not worship me in the high places. But a lot of the people wanted to worship God in a convenient way or in the way that they liked, in the way they preferred, just like people do today. We like to do things our way rather than God's way. But Hezekiah said, no, if we're going to do this, if we're going to follow God, we've got to do it His way. And they took down the high places, which some people say, well, that's where I do my worship. And so what he's doing is he's saying the truth about what they did. They took down the high places that some people used to worship God, but The truth is, it wasn't worshiping God. It's not worshiping God when we worship God our way, on our terms, rather than on His. See, what the trick is, what Sennacherib is doing, he's using deception. He even goes on in 2 Kings 18 tells us that he tries to claim that he is really the one here acting for God. Moreover, he says, here's a quote from 2 Kings 18, Is it without the Lord, and whenever you see in your Bible those words L, capital O, capital R, capital D, capital, 
It's speaking of Yahweh God, Jehovah God, the personal name God uses to identify himself. He's saying, isn't it your God that I'm coming with? I'm, would I come here without him? I got a message from God. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Our enemy Satan today, like Sennacherib, tries to deceive us, tries to bring to us things where he says, this is what God wants you to do, lies. Jesus called Satan the father of lies in John chapter 8, and he is still at it today. How do we neutralize these attacks against us? How do we counter such attacks against us? Simply by knowing the truth, knowing what God says. That's why it's important for us to learn the Word of God. Learning God's Word isn't just for pastors or missionaries or Bible study leaders. It's for all of us who name the name of Christ to learn the Word of God so that when lies come our way, we can distinguish between truth and lies. That's why David writes in Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word I've hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It's why Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, be diligent, therefore. Be careful, therefore, to present yourself to God as a workman approved who accurately or rightly handles the word of truth. We need to learn God's word so that we will not fall prey to the attack of deception. Verses 13 to 17, there's another attack that's used here. It says, do you not know, again, this is Sennacherib speaking, what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now therefore do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servant said still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah and he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel and to speak against him saying like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, taunts them making fun of them and making fun of God. He tries to get them, just like Satan tries to get us today, to doubt God. To doubt what God has said. You have it wrong. You don't understand. To doubt God's power to help. God can't help you. God is powerless. To doubt God's goodness. To doubt God's willingness to help you. God could help you, but he really doesn't want to help you. He's not on your side. He's not good. To doubt our convictions of what we believe, to doubt our wisdom. You don't really believe that, do you? You foolish, naive person. See, it's the same tactics Satan pushes at us today 
that Sennacherib was using here against Israel. How do we defend against that? How do we defend against that? The answer is that we need to continually be aware of and notice, take notice of, and we need to continually remember and rehearse God's past goodness and His past faithfulness. Continually be looking at what has God done in the past for His people? What has God done for me and for us in the past? What has God done for me now? And we need to take note of that and remember it. It's no coincidence that's exactly what the Apostle Paul writes there at the end of Philippians where he says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry and fret about anything. He goes on, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition present your request to God. Take it to God in prayer. But what's the next phrase? Anybody know? With prayer and petition with thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? It's remembering what God has done in the past and being thankful. That is essential if we are going to deal with doubt. It's essential that we remember that God is good. That God is faithful. That God has done this and 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 this in my life. That God is doing this now. That He has done this and this and this and this for God's people in the past. That He does this and this and this on the pages of Scripture. Our God is good and our God is faithful. And how easily we forget if we do not intentionally remember. Satan attacks us with the attack of doubt. A related attack to that is found in verse 18. And they, these are the emissaries, the servants of Sennacherib, they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. It says these, these emissaries are, are shouting these things to the people because hand in hand with doubt comes And I wanted to say fear, but I'd already gotten on. I had two D's, and I decided I'm just going to start making all D's, okay? Dread. Oh, did I skip? I did. I skipped. All right, got to go back. Since Rob earlier played a Keith Green song that goes way back like half a century ago, I know some of you are going, wow, that's a new song. You know, created me a clean heart, oh God. That goes back forever. I'm taking us way back then, too. I didn't realize it had been a half century got inspired by seeing that movie, The Jesus Revolution. By the way, it's not my notes, sorry. It's a great movie, and it reminded of some songs from the past. This one was one of those. But then I realized that was a half century ago, which shows how old I am. But the message stands through it all. If I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in His Word can do. Through it all, Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. That's why we need to remember what God's done in the past. That is our armor against doubt. Okay, back to the next thing. Hand in hand with doubt comes dread, fear, worry, fret. I will never forget a few years ago in the Philippines with one of our frontline missionaries there working in Muslim culture where they are constantly in danger. And they said this, the great danger we face is not 
persecution. The great danger we face is fear of persecution. Persecution will never stop the work of God. But fear of persecution will. Because we'll quit. Pray that we do not fear. What powerful words. So it is here. Fear and panic are symptoms that we are not trusting God. When we doubt God, we easily lose heart. We give up and quit because there's no place else to go. How we need to remember there is no safer place than putting our trust in God. As the scripture says, Hebrews chapter 10, the Lord is my helper I will not fear. What can man do to me? If there is a sovereign God, and there is, then I can relax. Nothing, as Paul says in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. So Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way and though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the very world around us starts falling apart, literally, we don't have to worry. God's got it. He has us. Because He has claimed us as His children through Jesus Christ. He's made us His child. We can rest in Him. Wow, what powerful thing. Powerful truth. Our God is in control. Trust Him and trust His plan. The fourth attack really is in the same verse there in 18 where they shouted with a loud voice in the language of Judah to all the people of Jerusalem who are on the wall. The people are there on the wall. All the soldiers all lined up. These emissaries have come up and they've started shouting these things. Second Kings tells us that the Judean leaders, they called down to the emissaries. They said, hey guys. We're glad that you learned Hebrew. That's really nice. (laughs) But how about we talk in Aramaic, okay? Because the people don't speak Aramaic. Speak in this language. Talk to us, not the people. But you see, that's the strategy. The strategy was we're not talking to the leaders here. We're talking to the, we're talking to Bob up there on the, the third row of soldiers to the right. And they're trying to create fear in Bob. They're trying to get him to distrust and to turn against the leaders. You see, when trouble comes, the fourth attack that Satan will use in our life, the fourth attack is division, dissension. When trouble comes into your life, he will try to use that to divide your marriage. He will try to use that to divide your family, to break up your friendships. He will use that to try to cause division and arguing and gossip and grumbling in your church among the people of God. When trouble comes, Satan will try to get you to distrust and to disobey your leaders, to grumble and to slander and to rebel against and to undermine your boss or your parents or your husband or your deacons or your elders or your government or your, you know, whoever it is that's in authority. 
we know that the Word of God has told us and informed us that we are to be in submission to those who are in authority over us. We are to obey them. We are to follow them. Yes, there is a place within channels and within parameters for us to express our difference of opinion. There is even a place for us to disobey when the authority is asking us to disobey God, but how quickly and how easily when trouble comes, we find ourselves not in a righteous disagreement, but we find ourselves in rebellion. We find ourselves in distrust. We find ourselves slandering and gossiping and belittling those who are over us as well as those who are among us. Satan loves to cause division and dissension. Let's be aware of that and avoid that when trouble comes. The final attack, and I'm going to cheat just a little because it's actually not in our text, but I'm not making it up. It's over in Second Kings in that account of this same thing. Second Kings chapter 18 verse 23, it tells us that, and I love this name, Rabshakeh. It's actually a title. He sounds like a rapper. Rabshakeh. Or Rabshakeh, however you want to say it. But it's a commander, a general of the army, of the Assyrian army, comes and he says, come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. Hey, come, let's make a deal. Now at this point, by the way, Hezekiah has already said, and you remember this started because 15 years before this, Hezekiah had stopped paying tribute to Assyria, which his father, King Ahaz, had been doing. And Assyria had gotten weaker and they were dealing with problems with the country of Babylon and uh, they had kind of given up on this whole corner of the world. And so King Hezekiah stopped paying tribute. And at some point before this point, King Hezekiah, while they were down at one of the other cities, King Hezekiah sent word to King Sennacherib and said, Okay, got your point. You're kind of ticked. You want your payment. Okay, we'll pay the tribute. Now again, this isn't taxes like paying government taxes. This is paying bullies down the street for protection. That's what his dad had been doing. But King Hezekiah says at this point, Okay, bully, (laughs) name your price, we'll pay it. He sent back a price and Hezekiah took all the money out of the treasury, stripped the gold from everywhere, the temple everywhere and paid the money. But now here's the delegation saying, we want more. Come make a deal. And I'm surmising here, it's not in the text, but I'm surmising that going and making a deal with Sennacherib would probably involve more than just paying money. I have a feeling that back in the days of Hezekiah's daddy, when daddy abandoned worship of God in Judah when he closed up the temple and put idols on every corner that it had something to do not just with the influence of Assyria but even some of the bargains made with Assyria. Yeah, you know what? We don't need to have God down there. We can get rid of Yahweh and bring in these other idols. See, Hezekiah says, no, no deals, 
No compromise. That really is, you see, Satan's tactic. To get us to compromise. Yeah, you know, that you can get out of trouble. You can get out of the problem here. You can get out of the situation you're in. All you have to do is just compromise this little thing. But it's never just a little thing. And Hezekiah says, no. No compromise. Verse 19. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hand. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, prayed because of this, and they cried to heaven. At this point, everything that could be done has been done. The armies are there and they are mocking God. And King Hezekiah calls his buddy Isaiah and says, let's pray. They had been praying all along, but it is time when everything has hit the wall. There is, it is the moment of truth. Second Kings chapter 19 tells us that King Sennacherib had sent a letter to Hezekiah now demanding their surrender and a letter that was boasting of his own greatness and that no God could stop him. And it says, Hezekiah received that letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. And he gets up, whether he's in his house or he gets up from his office, and says, he took it to the house of the Lord. I love that. It's not that God can't see it anywhere, but he just takes it to the temple because that's the place where the Lord's house is, where the Lord's presence is. He puts it there before the Lord and says, here it is. God, I've done everything I can do. And we're in a desperate spot. And I don't know. The only thing I can do is ask you for help. been asking all along, but you see how de- desperate it is. And notice this. He's not just concerned about himself. He's concerned about the reputation of God. Look at the end of his prayer as he prays. He says, so now, Lord, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. He's concerned about God's reputation. God is not really about us. You are God. You can do anything you want. And I know that ultimately every battle is won, not on the battlefield, it's won on our knees. I'm coming and asking for your help, but God, do it so that you get glory. So that everybody on earth knows that you are God. And God answers Again, 2 Kings 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege round against it by the way that he came, in that same way he's going to return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Back to Second Chronicles. We pick up the story in verse 21. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. doesn't say it here, but 2 Kings 19 tells us that that very night, God sent this angel into the Assyrian camp. The next morning, the folks in Jerusalem wake up and they look out and they discover that they are surrounded by 185,000 dead soldiers. 
Who would have ever imagined? No, no human got glory for this because God did it all. So he, our text goes on, so he, that Sennacherib, returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came to the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. God answered the prayer, rescued his people. And let me tell you, everybody in the then known world heard this story. There's a God in Israel. Brothers and sisters, it's in the blackest and darkest of times It's in the most impossible situations that God's glory shines the brightest. So when the difficulties come, whether you're in difficulties today or they come tomorrow or they come next year, sooner or later they will come. When the difficulties come, let's persevere and keep trusting Him. Let's pray faithfully and let's pray boldly. And let's remember that God always delivers His people. Sometimes he delivers us from the storm, even as he did the folks in Judah here in 2 Chronicles. He delivers us out of the storm, out of our problem. Sometimes he delivers us through the storm, in the process growing and purifying us. Sometimes he delivers us through the storm all the way into his presence, meaning that we die in the storm. But may I say this, dear friends, unless Jesus Christ comes back first, every single one of us will go through a storm that ends in our death. If it doesn't happen when we're 20, it happens when we're 90 or 112. That storm that ends in our death may be an accident. It may be a disease. It may be an attack. It may be persecution. It may be a bullet or it may be old age. But whenever that storm comes and we die as believers in Jesus Christ, it is not a bad thing. It is a promotion. Because we step from this world into the very presence of our Savior where there is no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no bad things, where there is joy forevermore, where there are blessings and there are pleasures forevermore and that are unimaginable. So let us learn from the folks in Judah a few thousand years ago how we are to stand even when the difficult, even when the impossible times come. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's been a little longer message, but it's been so important for us because I have had conversations with so very many folks in the last few months who are going through some very, very difficult times. How we need these words of encouragement. 
All of us sooner or later will go through difficult times. May we learn the lessons. May we understand the attacks that will come our way that Satan is going to use to try to take us down, to try to take us out, to try to neutralize us, to demoralize us, to defeat us. May we stand firm in our rest, in our trust in you. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.